Be Christ's church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Well, church, good morning once again. My name is Daniel. I'm the lead pastor at North Roanoke Baptist Church, and it's a privilege if you would join me in grabbing your copy of God's Word and making your way to Acts chapter 10. We're going to just jump right into the story where we left off last week in a sermon I'm calling One Jesus, One Spirit, One Salvation, One People. Um, You could also call it the conversion of the Gentiles, and the criticism of the church. Whatever your title, we're in the middle of a story about how God brings even Gentiles, not just Jews, but Gentiles, people like you and me, into his kingdom. We read last week a a story of an account of a vision that Cornelius gets. He sees an angel who tells him to send some men to Peter, who's out in Joppa in like a a sea, like beach resort situation. And and Peter, meanwhile, as those men come into the city, has a vision of his own, of this container, something like a sheet with all kinds of food, and, and Jesus says to eat whatever's in there, clean or unclean. And so we saw last week that Peter is learning, he's discovering that if God's made all things clean, that we put into our bodies, right, then that means that Gentiles don't have to keep the ceremonial law of Israel to get to Jesus, that Jesus is cleanliness, and all they have to do is trust in Christ. Salvation is in Christ alone, totally and fully, and so Peter, in response, when he goes to Caesarea, where Cornelius is, and all these people that he's gathered to hear the gospel, Peter begins with, hey, I realize that, that God is not a God of partiality. He's not a respecter of faces. He's a God who wants to save people with all kinds of faces from all kinds of places through faith in Jesus Christ. And and we dive into the story in verse 36, where after Peter makes that declaration, he now begins to share the gospel with Cornelius and all who have gathered to hear the word. So would you join me in Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 36? And we're going to make it, hopefully, all the way to verse 18 of chapter 11 today. So I'm going to read in sections, all right? So first, verse 36 through verse 43. Would you hear with me the word of the Lord? As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge 
of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. God, we ask, we beg of you that we would be attentive to your word today, that your word would hit home, God, that it would strike a chord in our hearts, that whatever uh, you have purposed for us to glean and to gain from being here today, that your spirit would do it. God, that you would make us more like Christ, that you would make us uh, more ambitious for the mission of God. Whatever it is that you want to accomplish, we pray that in the hearing of your word, that you would do it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want you to see in this extended passage this morning is we must proclaim the good news of peace with God through Jesus Christ. Now that sounds pretty basic. You came to church. We believe that Christ conquered the grave. He rose on the third day. He's ascended and he's returning again to judge the living and the dead. But a lot of times we don't get around to that, right? We just say, hey, do you believe in Jesus? Oh, I believe in Jesus too. And we, we miss the substance of the gospel. So to proclaim the good news of peace with God through Jesus, we have to actually explain Jesus. We have to help people know who he is and what he has accomplished. And that's exactly what Peter does in verses 36 and following. Now back in verse 33, we got to remember how this started, right? Cornelius says to Peter, Peter takes a two-day journey from Joppa to Caesarea, and he gets there, and here's what Cornelius says when they get inside of Cornelius' house. We are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Now, I just got to say to you, that's never happened to me before. Nobody's ever been like, hey, could you come? We are all here in the presence of God to hear everything you want to tell us about Jesus. But if that ever happens in your life, here's what that's called spiritually. A softball over the center of the plate. So I don't care if the count is 3-0, and oh, if somebody ever says to you, we're all gathered here in the presence of God to hear everything we need to know about how we can be saved, swing the bat and, and do what Peter did. What does Peter do? He shares with Cornelius Jesus. He doesn't say, hey, have you heard of Jesus? Yeah, well, that's good. Do you believe in him? Well, that's great. Then you're fine. And then move on. No, he explains Jesus. And let me submit to you that even if we don't get that kind of softball, we need to be attentive to the opportunities that we have to create the opportunities in partnership with the Spirit to explain who Jesus is. And to explain who Jesus is and what he's accomplished means we've got to announce that peace with God is possible through Jesus Christ. What is peace? It is wholeness, it is, it is completeness, it is restoration to a right relationship with God. Biblically, peace is a synonym for salvation, involving the release from judgment from God through the forgiveness of sins and correspondingly the freedom to serve God. Peace with God is the need of every man, but it only comes through Jesus Christ. Which Jesus Christ? The Jesus Christ revealed, do you see it in verse 36, in the word he sent to Israel. Church, salvation comes through a particular Jesus. It comes through the reigning anointed king of Israel who is Lord of all. Son of God and Son of Man. Yes, he is Israel's king, but he's Lord of all because he made it all. And as the Lord of all, he's the only Savior 
He's the only one. This is the exclusivity of the gospel. You cannot be rescued apart from what God did for you in Christ. But here's the good news. Because he's the Lord of all, his salvation can apply to anyone from anywhere who will trust in him, not just Israelites. He can save anyone. This means his authority is unbounded by terrestrial borders. He's, he's unlike any other king we know. All other kings, they've got a territory. There's a, a limit to where their authority extends. You get to the edge of the country, you get to the edge of the border, and then you cross into another territory where there's another ruler, there's another sovereign. But there's no place you can go on the planet where God does not have sovereign rule, reign, and authority, which means anyone who will bow to the feet of King Jesus can be saved. They can have peace with God. In verse 37, Peter says, you yourselves know of this Jesus. And he, he suggests that they already know about the powerful and positive ministry of Jesus. Now, we don't know how they know about it. We don't know if it's because Philip has already made his way up to Caesarea and settled there and told them, or, or maybe it's just the buzz that's followed Jesus's ministry throughout Judea. Either way, Peter wants them to know that the Jesus who began his ministry in Galilee following John the Baptist preaching about baptism and who had been anointed by God and with the Holy Spirit and with power to do good and to heal is the Jesus who gives peace with God. That guy that you've heard about, that's the way to have peace with God. Now, let's face it, church, there's a lot of Jesuses out there, right? There, there's the there's the do your best Jesus. Just try hard. And people think that these Jesuses will save, but when they face God as judge, Jesus as judge in eternity, they will be eternally disappointed. The do your best Jesus does not save anyone. There's the just be nice Jesus. There's the choose your own path Jesus. There's the Jesus accepts me because I'm enough, I'm worthy, I'm amazing Jesus. I got to submit to you, church, like if you listen to Christian radio long enough, there's some songs out there that make me twitch a little bit. Because the songs seem to suggest how great I am or we are rather than how great God is. You don't have any worthiness to bring to God. You don't have anything amazing to bring to God. God didn't look down and say, wow, he's so amazing. I just got to do something. No. No. We were fallen, we were wretched, we were enemies of the cross of Christ. You'll search your scriptures in vain to see, oh, I'm amazing, I'm worthy of my own merit. Your worthiness comes from Christ and Christ alone. And if we miss that, we miss the gospel. Paul, you shouldn't have done so well this morning. I'm getting, I've been fired up since the last song. The, the, these Jesuses don't save, so we have to be careful when we present the gospel to actually present the Jesus of the Bible. There is no, it all works out in the end Jesus who can save you. There is no, I don't need the church to follow Jesus to save you. These Jesuses save people from thinking about their sin. They save people from thinking about the day of reckoning that awaits when Christ returns, but they do not give peace with God. None of these Jesuses saves, none of them heals, none of them gives peace with God, none of them gives the forgiveness of sin, and none of them gives release, look at verse 38, from the devil's 
power and his oppressive lies that enslave and destroy people. But I'm here to tell you this morning, North Roanoke Baptist Church, we know and serve and announce that there is a Jesus who can. He's the Jesus revealed in the word sent to Israel. He's the Jesus who was anointed with the spirit and power to do good and to overcome the devil. He's the one that Isaiah said would come and that the spirit of the Lord would rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding and listen to this, the spirit of counsel and of might. Do you need the power of God in your life to live for God, to serve God and to be reconciled to God? It's found in this Jesus prophesied predicted in the word to Israel. In verse 39, Peter wants his Gentile listeners to know what they've heard about Jesus isn't a myth or a fairy tale. What does he say? We're all witnesses of all that he did in the country of the Jews and Jerusalem. In other words, these men that Peter brought along with him, apparently, though they were not apostles, had been a part of that nearer group of followers from the beginning of Jesus. Peter's saying, we we saw this guy. Jesus really came. He really ministered and we really saw him. Peter could not deny what he had seen with his own eyes and participated in with his own life. Jesus was God's promised king from Israel. And then verse 39 he says, but they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Israel's leaders had regarded Jesus as a sinner deserving of death and cursed by God. But praise be to God, God raised him from the dead on the third day, the day of salvation. Jesus died for sins, but not for his own. It's proven in the resurrection. He bore a curse, but not a curse that he caused. He took God's wrath, even though he had done no wrong. Paul says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And he goes on to quote from Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, that the man who is hung on a tree is cursed by God. He bore the curse so that we would not have to bear it any longer, so that we could have peace with God. And God vindicated Jesus. He vindicated him in the resurrection Not some phony, baloney, missed resurrection that was made up, but a real, permanent, bodily resurrection in which God made him to appear, verse 40, to eyewitnesses, to us, he says. What kind of witnesses? Witnesses that he chose, meaning he chose beforehand. Witnesses who ate and drank with Jesus after he rose from the dead. In other words, God was not surprised by the crucifixion of his son. In fact, he had already picked out the witnesses who would later certify with their own lives and their own deaths that Christ died and rose for sinners who trust in him. Now, we've, we've covered a lot of gospel essentials already in just a few verses. Marita summarizes how far we are in this way. Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, is Lord of all. Jesus was empowered by the Spirit to liberate the devil's captives. Jesus died under the curse deserved by others. Who are those others? That's you and me. We're the ones who deserve the curse. Jesus was raised up by God to reign forever. But the gospel presentation is still incomplete. In verse 42, he goes on and he says, God commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be what? 
the judge of the living and the dead. Did you know the gospel story is not just a nice story? It's a story that you need to jump into. This is not just another religion and another, another set of information. It's not just history. It is history, but it's more than history. It needs to become a history that you're wrapped up in, that you are delivered by. You can't just stand objectively back and go, well, that's an interesting fact set. My, my son Samuel is, is getting in shape. He's training, and, I, and, I, and I, every time I see him train, I'm like, I need to get back to running. And I'm 44, and I have a 94-year-old back. And so there's this battle going on in my head where I'm arguing with myself about, am I going to start and try again or not? Because when I do it, it hurts pretty good. And so the last two times he's trained, I've been like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run this time. And, uh, and then I didn't. I, I got no benefit from Samuel running other than perhaps the joy of seeing him run. But physically, I'm just as unfit as I was two days ago. And that's what a lot of people do with the gospel. They hear it, they listen to it, they intellectually process it, but they never get in the gospel. Jesus is returning as judge, y'all. He's going to judge the living and the dead. This story is of eternal consequence. You must jump into the story. In Luke 24, Jesus says, The Bible was written about me and my death and my resurrection and my, those that would witness to me and those who would be forgiven to the ends of the earth. He says all of that is in the Old Testament. In other words, if your faith is in Christ, you're in the Old Testament. But if your faith is not yet in Christ... You could be in the Old Testament in the other way. Those who fail to trust in Christ, those who fail to get in the story, those who fail to participate in the gospel are going to end up eternally disappointed because God is appointing Jesus, has appointed Jesus to return as judge. He's not just Savior, He's judge. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. You see it in verse 43, everyone, not just every Jew, everyone who believes in him, receives forgiveness of sins through his name, just as the prophets foretold. The Old Testament was given to reveal Jesus, the King of Israel, the Lord of all, crucified for sin, risen to reign in righteousness, returning to judge the living and the dead, and praise God, forgiving anyone who believes in him. You believe that? That's good news. Let's keep reading. Verse 44, down through verse 48. While Peter was still, lit, still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have been who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. The second point I want you to see, church, pretty simple. We need to baptize and teach anyone who receives the Holy Spirit. Anybody God saves, we need to baptize and we need to teach. Peter's rolling through the gospel and he doesn't even get to call for repentance or he doesn't even get to mention the, 
miraculous work of the Spirit who indwells God's people as he does back in Acts 2.38. Instead, God just does it. Now, we know that they are repentant because in chapter 11, verse 18, the church is going to rejoice that God has granted repentance even to the Gentiles. Wherever there's salvation, there's going to be belief on Jesus and repentance of sin. If those two things aren't present, salvation is not present. Wherever God saves, there's going to be a turning away from sin and self-worship and selfishness and belief on Christ. We know these Gentiles are saved. Why? Because the Spirit shows up. He falls on everyone who heard, verse 44. He is the one, the Spirit is the one who convicts and converts and indwells and seals believers. And it's right here in this text that God leaves no doubt that the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. Why? Because they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling and magnifying God. Now, we don't see tongues in every instance that the Spirit is poured out, but this is a lot like the Pentecost for the Jews back in Acts chapter 2. And so God is, is certifying, he's, he's confirming that His Spirit has been poured out even on the Gentiles. And, and this word poured out is in the perfect tense and the passive voice. And you're like, who cares? And, and normally I don't get technical and go into the grammar, but this is really important. The word poured out is in the perfect tense and the passive voice. Let me tell you what that means. The passive voice means God is the actor. He is the subject of the sentence. He's the implied subject. Who poured out the Spirit? God did. The Gentiles didn't pour the Spirit out on themselves. They didn't work themselves up into a tizzy and hope that the Spirit would come. God gave the Spirit. All right. Secondly, it's in the perfect tense, which means it's a completed action with enduring results. It's like when you get married. You, get, you, don't, you don't have to have a wedding day every day to be married, right? You get married and then you're married. At least you should be. You stay married until you die. That's, that's marriage, right? So you get married and you don't get unmarried. That's kind of like the perfect tense. So, so here's what's going on. They've been united with Christ through the Spirit, which is a gift given at God's initiative that God never takes back. Jesus does not, God does not unpour what He has poured out. This is important because there are places today where people are gathered who think that you can get saved and then get lost after you got saved. That is in direct contradiction to this verse. God pours it out. He does it once and for all, signed, sealed, delivered. Now the indwelling of the Spirit isn't always evidenced by speaking in tongues, but it, it is here as it crosses the threshold from one people group to another. Now even these Gentiles are enjoying the saving benefits of Christ's work. And, and what's the response of Peter and the brothers that he brings? It's, it's amazement, verse 45. They, they, are, they are marveling at the work of God. They are understanding salvation is truly and entirely by Christ alone. It's just that simple and it's just that complex. Simple because it's only Jesus. Complex because... Every ounce of our fallen humanity cries out in pride to make it about us, doesn't it? About our background, about our worthiness, about what we can do. 
And at the end of verse 46, Peter goes from amazement to declaring or literally answering a question. And you say, well, where's the question? Nobody asked a question. He didn't hear somebody ask a question, but he felt the room, in the room, that there was a question. You ever been in a situation like that? Just like an awkward pregnant pause and everybody's got the question, but nobody's willing to voice the question. So Luke says, he answered. Well, who did he answer? He answered the felt question in the room. And in verse 47, he directly states the question that's implied by the coming of the Spirit on the Gentiles. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Who's going to deny them entry into the family of God? Who's going to deny them the symbol of what God did on the inside, on the outside, so that we would know we have fellowship with one another? And the answer, the implied answer to the question is what? Nobody. Nobody's going to deny them baptism. It's a rhetorical question expecting a negative answer. The same Spirit who unites them, the Jews, with Jesus is now uniting the Gentiles with Jesus. This is a huge verse. The Bible assumes that saved people will be baptized. There's not a debate in the Bible about whether someone who trusts in Jesus should be baptized. It's just the assumption. Of course you're going to be baptized. Furthermore, in verse 47, the the point of the verse is that no one should prevent a saved person from being baptized. No one should prevent a saved person from being baptized. Now listen to this. That means even that saved person. If your faith is really in Jesus, if your confidence and hope is really in Him, you shouldn't stand in the way of your own baptism. His command is for us to identify with Him in baptism, in His death and His resurrection, the same way that anyone else who enters the kingdom of God has done throughout the millennia since Christ has been raised from the dead. So in verse 48, Peter commands the Gentiles to do what? Be baptized. And then I love what comes next, because when we baptize, what do we do? We're buried with Christ. We're raised to do what? To walk in newness of life. The newness of life isn't something that Peter had to force on them or command them to crave or desire. Look at what they say. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Peter, would you stay here a little bit longer? Why? Because they want to know about this one on whom they've believed. They want to know more about how to serve him and honor him and and live for him. They want to get all that they can about being a disciple. Church, this is the picture of what it looks like to be saved. Disciples hear the gospel. They repent and believe. They are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. They are baptized and they want to know more about this amazing king who gave his life for them. That's what we got to do, church. We got to proclaim the whole gospel we got to believe that the Spirit is going to keep drawing people, that people are going to keep repenting and believing. We've got to be ready to baptize and teach the gospel. Finally, chapter 11, we'll read down through verse 18. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, or literally those of the circumcision criticized him there's always going to be critics I'll just pause there they criticized him saying 
you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down at me, meaning like literally directly at me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who was called Peter, He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. That's new information. The the angel said, he's going to tell you what you need to hear in order that you can come to saving faith. That's pretty awesome. By which you will be saved. As I, verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord How he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let's dial in and listen real closely to verse 17 and 18. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent And glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. These people who were walking in darkness, these people who were walking in death, in hearing the gospel, have been visited by God. They've repented and believed on Christ and they've found life. And here's here's what I want you to get out of these 18 verses. It's pretty simple, church. It's the same point that I made last week, just stated in a different way. We must not stand in God's way, but we must welcome close fellowship with anyone God saves. You say, well, why'd you make the same point you made last week? Because that's what Luke did. And if it's important enough for Luke to make the point twice in two chapters, then maybe we need to hear it. Maybe God knows something about our hearts that we need to hear. In verse 1, the the word spreads throughout Judea that Gentiles had also received the word of God. This doesn't mean that somebody gave them a Bible. It means that the gospel had come home to their hearts. They'd been transformed by God. They'd become personal participants in the gospel story. Now, interestingly, there's already believers in other places than Judea, right? There's believers in Samaria. There's believers in Damascus. But it's in Judea where the inclusion of Gentiles finds the most resistance. It's where there's a more um, thoroughgoing Jewish population, closer to the temple and the Old Testament law. This is where the resistance springs up. You say, what's your point, Pastor? Judea is kind of like where you could find what we would call the charter members of post-resurrection faith in Jesus. 
And some of those charter members aren't too happy about the inclusion of Gentiles. They're called those of the circumcision. Maybe a, a party that's, that's trying to come up with a, an angle to oppose the inclusion of the Gentiles. And, and get this, Gentiles have just been saved by God. The Spirit of God has fallen on them, and their first question to Peter, or their first words to Peter, are not celebration, but criticism. They don't rejoice at the advance of the kingdom of God and the salvation of sinners, but instead they criticize Peter for eating with Gentiles. Witherington says this, a whole new ethnic group involving the multitude of pagan nations has come into the picture. What should be an occasion for celebration, the salvation of Gentiles, becomes at first a cause for criticism. Some of these Christians are more interested in saving their traditions than in the fact that God is saving sinners. Does that, does that land this morning? All across this land, there's churches that are withering and dying because of this kind of attitude. They're going to come in here and change our church. They're going to come in here and sing some new songs. God, help us. Twice in two chapters, the Lord God who wrote this book, who authored this book, is saying to us, don't be like that. Whatever it takes that God would save one more, let's go there. Let's do that. As long as it's consistent with God's Word, we're not going to violate the Scriptures. But as long as we're operating consistent with the Word of God, why would we not do whatever it takes to see more repent and believe and the Spirit fall upon those who hear the Gospel and get saved? And Peter, Peter is criticized for demonstrating the depth of his oneness in Christ with Gentiles by sharing a meal with them. He's criticized for acting like he longs for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven, just like Jesus told him to pray. And I love Peter's response because he is, he's more Christ-like than I am in his response. I would want to say, what is wrong with you people? But you know what? Peter had the same problem just a chapter ago, and God was gracious to him. And what does Peter do? He graciously says, this is what God did. Look, I'm just going to tell you what God did. I had a vision that all foods are clean. Men showed up from Caesarea. The Spirit told me to go and not prejudge them based on their Gentile background. I took along six brothers with me. So seven Hebrews witnessed the inclusion of the Gentiles and um, everything that we witnessed at Cornelius' house happened in this way. He had heard from an angel that had come to him and told him that he would hear a message by which he would be saved. Well, what message saves people? It's only the gospel. So I gave him the gospel. I gave him the same gospel about the same Jesus that we trusted and the same spirit fell on them just like he fell on us at Pentecost, applying and sealing for the Gentiles the same salvation through the same Savior, making Jew and Gentile one new people through one and the same spirit. It's not what I did. It's what God did. The work of God is not like patching an old garment with a new piece of cloth. It's not like pouring new wine into old wineskins. 
Instead, it's a whole new thing that God is doing through Christ. It's, it's not like the preparatory baptism of John for Jews. It is rather the baptism by the Spirit through faith in Christ that Jesus told us in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, was going to happen, bringing Jews and Gentiles into one family through the blood of Jesus. So Peter, in verse 17, after he gives this summary, asks a question. If God gave Gentiles the same spirit that he gave to Jews, who was I to stand in God's way? So rather than getting angry, he just tells God's story and he puts it on himself and he says, are you telling me that I should stand in God's way? Which by implication, he's asking them, do you want to stand in God's way? Don't don't miss this. Peter is the leading apostle and he's still learning. And he is leading by learning. It would not be enough to say, hooray, the Gentiles are saved. Let them do their thing over there while we do our thing over here. Do you see that, church? They didn't didn't start Jewish and Gentile services. They didn't start churches for Jews and for Gentiles. One church for Anglos and one church for African Americans. The first generation church was multi-ethnic, multi-racial. It was multi-generational from the start. One gospel, one Jesus, and one spirit means one salvation and one people truly connected in life and in fellowship and in worship and in multi-ethnic discipleship. Eating together, sharing meals in homes around tables. So here's a question. If God gives His Spirit to all kinds of people from all kinds of background and brings them together at the same table, North Roanoke, who are we to stand in God's way? Who are we? In verse 18, Peter's report of what God did silenced his critics. And the church glorified God for turning the hearts of Gentiles. North Roanoke, this is what I long for and I pray and hope it's what we long for. My prayer in closing this message is this. May God give us the grace to release whatever history, tradition, title, comfort, or security stands in the way of us rejoicing in the work that God would delight to do in this valley. My prayer is that He would graciously quiet our hearts. Whatever rumbling or stirring that has no connection to the gospel whatsoever, that's just about me and my preferences and my stuff, that he would silence that within us and instead he would lead us to rejoice in the salvation of people through Jesus Christ alone. That we would long for and pray for revival in this valley and that when he does it, he would find us delighting in what he does for the glory of his son in us and among the nations when he comes because he's coming. He's coming again, and he's coming to judge. And I pray that he will find this people faithful with this gospel, going to all kinds of people in all kinds of places in the power of the Spirit. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, help us. Help us not to stand in your way.
Help us to seize the opportunities, to see the opportunities that you give us week by week to open our mouths and to share the gospel. And God, help us, like Peter, not to hold back, but to give all that is needed for someone to know that they might trust in Christ. And God, I pray as we, we see people saved and converted and the Spirit fall upon people from all kinds of backgrounds and life's experiences, Lord, that we would not be a people who's closed off to that, but that we would go in and we would, we would eat with them and they with us. And God, the witness that you produce from that would be like fuel on the fire and that your spirit would overtake this valley and that we would be a city where there's much rejoicing because of what Christ has done. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.